an area that I even debated whether to put it in or not. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this on these next couple of points. Uh, but when when you come down to the views concerning the transmission of the immaterial part of man, the theologians vary on what they believe. Uh, I'm going to share, as I said, briefly with you that, so don't feel like, oh, I've got to remember this because I've never heard it before, or maybe you've heard some of it before, but not all of it before. But there's the, up there, the pre-existence theory when they talk about the soul of man. And basically that pre-existence theory is this, that God created all of these souls, and he created those souls, and once a body was formed, he would inhabit that body with the soul. Now, most theologians do not agree with that concept at all. The second view is creationism. And in creationism, what it says is that God directly creates this separate immaterial part of man for every human being and at contraception or birth that soul becomes reality and then there's the third view traditionism and traditionism is that immaterial it says that immaterial part of man that soul is passed to the children through the parents and uh, don't agree with that at all. <laughs> but there are theologians, different theologians, that believe these particular views. And I'm not going to go any deeper into that. It doesn't really matter. But we know, I, I, the, the theory that I subscribe to is creationism. That once that person, that, that, that conception takes place, God places a soul in that person. All right, with that behind us, unless you want to talk about it. I didn't think so. All right, let's, let's quickly move on. What's the purpose and responsibility of man? What is, I mean, when we come down to it, uh, when you boil it down, what is God's purpose and responsibility for man? What, what, what are we to accomplish? Well, the first thing is this. Man's chief purpose is to glorify God. I mean, when he created us, he created us to glorify him. That, that's, that's one of the most important things that we can ever do, if not the most important thing we can ever do, is bring glory, honor, praise to him, to glorify our creator through our good works. And Revelation verse 11, it said, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So we are to glorify God. And as the chief purpose of man, as Augustine said, is that we might fulfill that divine role that he has placed within us to glorify the Son and to glorify the Father as we are filled with the Spirit of God. And then in 1 Corinthians... Chapter 10, verse 31, it also says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, our responsibility is this, 
to do all for the glory of God. So whatever you're doing, it's something as simple as eating or drinking, we're to glorify God. Now remember last week I was talking to you about our responsibility as we live our lives is to constantly be, and I think I said that Sunday, is to constantly be in, in, in that mode of thanking God for all things as we go through the day. Not just the big things, but all things. And to taking those, take those things to Him so we stay connected divinely. And we're not, we're not uh, saying, well, you know, I, I don't want to trouble God with that. God's not troubled with that. You underestimate God if you think he's troubled by your prayer life or your needs. God is always there and he's ready to be glorified. And as we go to him, we do glorify him. And as we worship him, we glorify him. And by the way, as we come on Sunday morning and Wednesday night and we are singing. Now, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I'm going to. I do not sing well. In fact, very poorly. And I've been told on numerous occasions, my mother is nodding her head in affirmation. But I want you to know something, I sing, because that's glorifying God. So if you're not singing, you're not glorifying God through that worship. Our responsibility is to honor Him, to glorify Him, and some of that comes with our singing. And also it comes with our participation in worship, because worship is participatory. So if we're going to glorify God, think about all the ways that we can, whether it's singing or whether it's eating or drinking, or whether it's going to sleep at night and giving Him thanks for all that He does. Now, the second thing here is this. He is to, uh, to have dominion, and serve as a creator. To, to, uh, uh, we are to serve our creator. That, that's what we're to do. As, as we live our lives and he has dominion over us, and we are to serve as a steward over God's creation. And as, as we think about that, Genesis 1:28 tells us, or 26 through 28, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, the cattle, the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and on every, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So we are to live in obedience to God's command as he has said, you are here as a caretaker. You have been placed to represent me on earth and care for my creation. Now, the second thing that I want you to see in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, I think, didn't I? Let me go back and see if I made a mistake. In chapter 2, 16 and 17 say, And the Lord com commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, I'm not sure what I've done there. You ever do that? You're not sure what you've done? Just skip that one. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. That's probably what I intended to have there. But our responsibility is as a caretaker. We're stewards. I mean, you think about it. Everything that we have. If you, if you own land, you own cattle, uh, whatever you own, it's not really yours. You're just a steward of it. It's going to be passed along. No one keeps it. It doesn't matter. My daughter was telling us the other day that there was this, I think it was a 
They're in, they're in Italy, and, they, and they're touring, going to these castles, going to these places. And for this, this particular business, this family has had for 32 generations. That's a long time. But you know what? It will end. It will end. And they don't own it. They're caretakers. And whatever we have, we're just caretakers. And, uh, you know, we, we are also to reproduce ourselves. And uh, when I say that we are to reproduce ourselves, uh, what that means is we are to re- re- reproduce ourselves, number one, physically. And uh, we saw that in Genesis 1.28. We'll put it back up there again. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Uh, but also in, in chapter 9. Verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them again, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why did he tell them that in, in chapter 9, verse 1? Because he sent the great flood. And all there were was with Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives and Noah and Miss Noah, and they were past the age of childbearing. So we've got to repopulate the earth. And, of course, you look around, they did a good job because the earth has been repopulated. Uh, but we are to reproduce ourselves physically. Also in Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So, as, as you are to reproduce now... It's not a curse if you can't reproduce. I mean, our, our daughter and son-in-law could not reproduce, but we have three beautiful grandchildren that they adopted. And uh, we are incredibly grateful for them. We'll be the rest of this week and the end of next week, and then we'll be grateful they're gone. We are to reproduce ourselves spiritually. So we know that God has given us a divine commission or command that we are to raise up our children in the training and admonition of the Lord. We are to reproduce ourselves spiritually. And that's why it's so important to pass the baton of faith to the next generation. And my job, her job, with our two children was to do that. Now, it's their responsibility to pass it to their children. And so on and so forth. And that's what we're to do. Matthew chapter 28 Verse 19 and 20, a passage that many of you know by heart. Go therefore and make disciples. Of who? All the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things. Did you catch that? Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So our responsibility is not, as parents, to bring our children to church and say, church, teach them. Our responsibility is to teach them at home, bring them to church, and they get that, 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 that principle upon principle and precept upon precept. They hear it again because the more you hear it and the more people you hear it, the stronger you become spiritually. And that's why it's our responsibility to, to teach a church, but it was our primary responsibility to teach our children at home. And that's where we missed the boat because we said, you know, church, teach them. Well, church, we should teach them. But we have them a couple hours a week. They're with moms and dads every day. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, 
And he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we're to reproduce ourselves spiritually with our children and with other people and, and teach them and train them and, and grow them. And then Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham before him, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So keep this in mind. Everywhere we go, it, people know us. They're watching us. And sometimes the only Bible they'll ever read is us, right? So they're watching closely. And guess what? People are critical. They're looking to find fault. So don't give them a reason to find fault. Amen? Don't do it. Now, under point D, it says he is to have dominion and serve as a steward over creation. That's where that was at. Yeah. And uh, we have already looked at those passages, so we're going to move on. And the, the Christian has distinct responsibilities. And these distinct responsibilities, number one, to become like Christ, right? I mean, we are to become like Christ. We, and in fact, you know the, the term Christian? It was a derogatory term in the first century. You know why? Because it, it, what the Jewish people were saying and, and non-believers were saying, well, you're just a little Christ. And that was meant to be a put-down. And where were Christians first called Christians? Antioch. And it wasn't a positive term. <laughs> they were, they were, it said Christian means a little Christ, that you're representing him because you're his offspring, if you will. Uh, but it wasn't something that was, uh, you're being patted on the back or bragged on. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it said, Paul said, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we all know what it says in Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for good to those who love Christ and called according to his purpose. And here's the reason we're called according to his purpose. He wants to make us into the image of himself. And that's a process. And as you go through that process, we are born again immediately. That's justification. And then there's this process. And uh, as we're going through that process, he is using us uh, and sanctifying us that one day he can glorify us, take us to be, in, to be in heaven with him. Philippians, oh, let's go to Ephesians 4 first. And it said, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. And that word perfect is often saying, well, I can never attain perfection. When you see that talking about man, it means mature, okay? It means, it, it, it should say that, this would be a better translation, to a mature man. And what does a mature man do? Well, what did Paul say? When I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child, I reasoned as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. In other words, it's that process of growing to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we, we, we mature, and as we mature, we become more like Christ. And as we become more like Christ, people see us and see us differently. Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And, and, and what he is saying is, let the Holy Spirit's power and presence be here, taking resolve and taking charge of the high things of the mind. And as he infiltrates our mind, we begin not thinking 
like a man or a woman, but we begin thinking more like a creation of Christ, more like a child of God, more like we ought to think rather than how we typically think. And then he says next, in the next passage in 1 John 2, 6, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to do what? Walk just as he walked. When you read the letters of Paul, you will often see these two words. Worthy walk. Worthy walk. Worthy walk. And that in the original language is peripieto. And peripieto means that you ought to walk as Christ walked. Now, as you think about the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you see is wherever Jesus went, he went about doing what? Good. Changing lives. Preaching the gospel. Healing. Giving hope. And if we're going to walk as he walked, here's here's what we have to keep in mind. We don't need to go fussing, fighting, feuding, taking these these worldly things and making them the godly things, what we need to do is walk as he walks, stand for what he stood for. When Jesus is silent, let's be silent. When Jesus speaks, let's speak. Because often, if we're not careful, we let our own preconceived ideas and ideologies affect our theology rather than our theology affecting our ideology and the word of God should always have the preeminence so think before you go out on the limb because you might be sawing it off behind you and uh, 1 Peter 2.21 for to this you were called Why are we called? Well, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. So listen, as a believer, if you don't take a little persecution, and if you don't get a little bit of this, you may be straddling the fence too much. (laughs) Because you're not not always going to be patted on the back. Sometimes you're going to be kicked. You're going to be maligned. But what we have to do is realize Jesus suffered. If I have to suffer some, it's nothing like going to the cross. I might get a little lip, but that's about it. But, hey, thick, be thick skin, handle it, move on, whatever, no big deal. So we are to spiritually reproduce ourselves, and we are to have these distinct responsibilities to become like Christ. We're also, as I spoke Sunday, to bear fruit. And as we bear fruit, we have that passage in John that I read Sunday, John chapter 15. I won't read it again because you're all probably here, but we are to bear fruit, and how do we bear fruit? We abide in the vine. And when you abide in the vine, that means you simply are doing and reproducing what the vine gives you. It's not you. It's Christ working through you. That's what he wants you to understand. Because he's the true vine. As we said, Israel was a vine that was taken up out of Egypt in, in uh, uh, Psalm 80. And, but Jesus said, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. 
And if you want to bear fruit, you're going to have to abide in me. And as, as you abide in me, the more you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit, more fruit than much fruit. So stay connected to the vine. And then that other passage I did quote is Galatians 5, 23 on Sunday morning. The fruit of the Spirit, and we talked about love, joy, and peace Sunday morning, right? But also long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Have, have, you, been, have you kind of been by every one of these doors out here? What's, what, what's by each door? Fruit of the Spirit. I had those made up several years ago because I think we need to be reminded what the fruit of the Spirit is. And, and as, as we realize that, oh, by the way, let me just say it like this. I have never argued anybody into the faith. Never. Because what, when you argue, what do you do? You dig in your heels because you're, you're right. But that you can lovely and lovingly converse with people about the truth of the gospel. Show them grace Show them joy, show them love, show them peace. Be long-suffering, be patient, be kind. And as you do all of these things, and with gentleness and self-control, you'll be amazed at how you'll be able to reach people. So, we're to bear spiritual fruit. Thirdly, we're to proclaim the gospel. I read the Matthew 28 passage, and I'm not going to read it again, but uh, that's to proclaim the gospel. We're to go and, and, and proclaim the gospel to all people. Also did the Mark 16, 15, so preach to every creature. That, that's our responsibility, to proclaim the gospel. But if we're going to proclaim the gospel, we better be bearing some spiritual fruit before we do that so others are looking at our life and seeing us and we are to, we're to become like Christ because we're to have this mind that's in Him, it's to be in us, and we're to walk worthy, and as we're walking worthy and we have, have the fruit of the Spirit, then we'll have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel and we will be believable. Luke 24. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are a witness of these things. Behold, I sent the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now I want you to hear that last part. If you're going to be able to preach the gospel effectively, you must be, have the mind of Christ. You must be in the Word of God. You must exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. And as you do that and you proclaim the gospel, listen, you'll, you'll proclaim it with power. But that's not your power. That's the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Have you ever wondered why most services used to start at 11 sharp and end at 12 dull? Because there was no power. There was no presence of the Spirit of God. It was just going through the motions. Anybody ever been there when that's happened? I have. I mean, you're just like, boy, I hope this ends. I'm ready to go. But when, when the Holy Spirit's moving and, and things are, it gets exciting, doesn't it? See a young lady say, isn't that exciting? I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. We're to proclaim the gospel. John 20, 21. 
So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So, guess what? Hey, how many ministers are in this room? All of us. All of us. That's right, all of us. Everybody's a minister. You're a minister where you're at. You're a minister in your workplace. You're a minister where you go. You're a minister at the senior center. You're a minister everywhere you go. And then Acts 1, 8, about power. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You know, we should all, as ministers of the gospel of Christ, be so grateful that he has allowed us to participate in the one thing that is eternal. And that is the souls of men and women. And to advance the gospel that we might reach people with his power that comes through the Holy Spirit of God. You know, we need to remember school starting back up in the next three weeks. We need to remember our teachers our staff, our administrators, our students, safety officers, all of those presents, custodians, everyone that works on the school grounds. We need to be praying for them and praying that those who are believers would minister to those who are non-believers and they might come to know Christ. Because the most fertile soil that we have are with the younger people. And they are the most malleable. The older you get, the less you can change, doesn't it seem? I am a creature of habit. But young, malleable students, that's where we need to reach. So let's pray about that. And let's take every opportunity for every young person we see, encourage them. You may not know them, but encourage them. Because you never know what a word of encouragement will do. Amen? Let's stand.